welcome to Bada Boom. I'm Chris. On this episode of the podcast, Mark Russell returns, this time to talk Rumpus Room, a story that follows an eccentric tech billionaire who traps people in his rumpus room, where he turns his victims into skin cream, and the victim's only solace is they get to pick who's next. Russell discusses the real-world inspiration and his other upcoming book, Serial, which follows breakfast cereal monsters in what is described as what we do in the shadows meets Monster Squad. Listen in and bada boom. Hi, Mark. How you doing? Good. Good, good. I'm excited to talk to you today because you got a couple projects I'm excited for. Uh, one, Rumpus Room, and then also Serial. I think we'll get started on, on Rumpus Room. Like It's a pretty crazy pitch, especially these days, and I think you've definitely made a name for yourself when it comes to this space of... of, of dark humor and sort of um, almost like political satires talking about sort of the people that really run this world. <laughs> um, so where did this start? I know you have a really good relationship with AWA, but where did the pitch come from? Well, I like to start with the some sort of parable, some sort of story that's more than just the plot that speaks to what I see as like uh, being, being a stand-in for another social issue. So the story is about a billionaire who locks people in his rumpus room and one by one has them crushed into skin cream, but he allows them to vote on the next person to be crushed. So to me, I thought, well, this is like a really great sort of parable when I came up with the idea for, uh, you know, um, American democracy, how we're not, a, we're, we're allowed to like vote within the confines that the uh, billionaire class allows us to. And that usually constitutes voting on on who who of the our other fellow Americans we're going to throw under the bus, who is less human than we are. Uh, and so I wanted to use that as a parable to talk about sort of the uh, the, the problems with, with American um, civilization. Uh, but from there, you know, I kept getting more and more ideas of things to throw in there. And that's kind of when I know that I'm onto something, when the parable turns into a story, when... I might have this idea that stands for this this great sort of social issue that I want to talk about, but then the characters come to life and just sort of take over the story. And I think that's when you know you've got a series on your hands. That's awesome. And then with with AEWA, like, did you pitch them on the the artists, or was it something that like evolved through like several edits? Like, what did that look like? Well, AWA has a uh, an impressive stable of artists. So they just uh, Ramon is a great artist. He's been doing a lot of stuff for AWA. So they just pulled him out of the quiver, and <laughs> uh, and sat, and paired him with this project, which you know I, I'd seen his artwork before and really liked it. And I thought, yeah, he'd be ideal for this. So they really are the ones that 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 matched me with Ramon for the for this project. In terms of like what you see it as, obviously you have that 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 story written out. Do you see it going past that initial arc? It could. It ends in a kind of open-ended way. So we could potentially do a number two, but I don't currently have any plans to do a follow-up. Yeah. And for you, like how not all robots, actually, which I also do anyway. The door is open for a sequel, but I think it stands on its own too. Yeah, that's good. I think for you, like how fun is it to kind of you know, really engage with the political climate through your stories. I, I'm sure that's a really good way to kind of let some of that out, as frustrating as the world can be <laughs> sometimes these days. And I think uh, for you, like what's what's great as a reader for me, like reading your stories is seeing how your worldview, but also sort of you're able to 
yes, obviously you're you're an artist and you have a an opinion. And there's obviously anyone that writes something is always going to have like an inherent bias, but you're able to give someone this story and still be able to take something away no matter where you stand in terms of these political issues. So for you, like how fun is it that to engage in those issues like that? Well, I think the key is to uh, turn it into a parable, turn it into a story that's something other than what you're really talking about. And that way, one, people are not really defensive about it. They don't feel like they're being attacked or preached to. Uh, but on the other hand, for you as a writer, it's a lot of fun because then you get to like sort of it's a it's a writing prompt. So then you get to like think about how the characters fit in or don't fit in with this narrative or what sort of side issues will come up. And, uh, you know, it, that to me, that's where it, the, the fun really starts is when I start going beyond the initial parable. And I just start thinking of like what how these characters would sort of bump into each other and how they would. Uh, you know, which ones would like or dislike the other ones and, you know, who who gets betrayed and why. Yeah. Like reading sort of the the synopsis and, and talking to you, it, it's interesting because, again, it, it's not hard to draw like too many parallels like to the real world, especially like you said, it's it almost seems like we're always kind of kicking the can to, to the next person. It's like, OK, like I'm screwed, but, you know, you guys will be screwed more down the line. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I think that's kind of what we, you know, it seems to be, you know, a real galvanizing political reality. It's like, well, I'm not going to help you at all, but if you vote for me, I'll, I'll make sure the people you don't like suffer even more. And I think that's a winning political message in today's political, political climate, which is what I wanted to really talk about, how we've, we've somehow been convinced to think of politics as not like improving society, but a, a, as like a tool for making it worse for the people we don't care about which is, you know, probably going to be what destroys us all. Yeah, it, it, it's becoming uh, more and more like a wrestling promotion. <laughs> yeah, right. People, I think, I, I think uh, root for uh, people who are really partisan and, you know, like, call it like, especially I'm going to single them out, like the Trump people. They tend to think, I think the reason why they're able to like throw so much of their identity into it is because they've come to think of politics as like college football you know, or it's just like, well, it's my team against your team. And I don't really care what the issues are. I don't really care, you know, what this means for me. I just want my team to win at all costs. And it doesn't really matter if, you know, um, if I lose too, or if, if, if the, or if the victory doesn't really bring me any joy or, or better my life at all, I just want you to lose. Yeah. It's all about winning. But, you know, speaking of kind of like the funness, like another thing that you got coming is serial. And for me, you know, whenever you put sort of in the byline, like what we do in the shadows meets, you know, Monster Squad, I'm like, all right, that's an immediate <laughs> pre-order. So where did that come from? And, and what was it like uh, creating that pitch for um, Ahoy? Well, some stories like Rumpus Room are uh, deductive, where you start with a big idea, and then you go down to like more granular sort of ideas. Other stories are inductive, where it's like you start with a few small ideas like characters talking to each other just a conversation and then it broadens up into this big story and that's kind of what um serial was it was more inductive where i just was writing these little dialogues between um captain crunch and frankenberry or count chocula and his wife like on facebook and and people liked them and would comment on them and i just sort of saved them and then I, at some point i realized that the, you know if i stitched these together there's actually the kernel of a story there. So I, uh, when they were doing the Edgar Allan Poe Snifter of Terror series for Ed Ahoy, where there are these sort of Edgar Allan Poe 
uh, inspired stories, uh, they asked me if I had anything. And I remembered this, this sort of funny but horrifying Count Chocula thing I'd written. So I said, yeah, I got this. So I wrote them like a like a 10-page story about uh, how Count Chocula and his wife became vampires and about what a nightmare that would be to be somebody who is known for their breakfasts and to become a vampire. It's, it's like... <laughs> You, you know, of all the meals you have to be awake for as a vampire. So I sent that in and I liked it. So then we started talking about doing more of them. So I had to start thinking of the story in broader terms, bringing more characters in, building it more into a unified narrative. And and then it's just sort of snowballed into this graphic novel length epic. Yeah. And, you know, being that it's epic and it's a graphic novel form, like, what's that process like versus, you know, writing something like a, a miniseries or an ongoing? Well, I, I actually like releasing it just as a graphic novel because my my complaint with like doing something in a series form is that people only get to read like 20% of it at a time, which imagine watching a movie that way. Imagine yeah. you know, showing up and seeing 20 minutes of a movie and then having to leave for a month <laughs> and then coming back and seeing yeah. another 20 minutes. Uh, I mean, I understand that's what comics are. Yeah. But um, at the same time, if I have the opportunity to release it all together as a book, I, I prefer to do it that way so you can just immerse yourself and read the whole story at once. Yeah. And does that like change your approach? Because obviously in sort of series format, you kind of always have, there's always that first issue like cliffhanger, you know, and you kind of have to figure yeah. out ways to keep people engaged, you know, so that they don't forget in a month <laughs> to pick up that next issue. So like, what's the approach like, you know, when you get that green light to write something like in a serial where it's a full graphic novel form? Yeah, it, it does change things. I'd like to say it doesn't that, you know, that I'm I'm above all that and that I, that I, you know, just write a story from beginning to end the way I want it to be. But the truth is that when you are writing, you know, 20 or 22 page, you know, monthly comics, you do sort of think about like, well, where's a good ending point for this? How do I, you know, get people to, how do I inspire people at the end to, uh, to pick up the next one. And I think this has resulted in a lot of schlocky writing where you just sort of like see characters talking or treading water for 20 pages. And then there's a splash page at the end of some major you know, plot twist or reveal to get you to show up to buy, to waste $4 on the next comic. And I always feel like that's sort of gimmicky and trite. And um, so I, I don't like having to use those devices, but at the same time, when you're writing episodic fiction like that, it's good to think of that in terms of like, well, what's this episode about? Or what's the next episode going to be about? They try to give each issue a theme and try to give each issue like a focus and, and to think of them in, in terms of independent stories, individual stories within a greater narrative. So I think it really does sort of help to think of a story in these sort of chapter by chapter terms. Uh, I just think you can't let that be a crutch and make you a lazy writer who just relies upon making the end of the chapter sort of good or, you know, explosive and not worrying about the rest of the writing. So I think it's okay. And in fact, it helps to think in this sort of episodic chapter by chapter basis, if you're doing the hard work along the way. Yeah, you know, and it is hard work. And, you know, kind of going back to a series you wrote, which is like Superman Space Age, me as a reader, I really appreciated how those those three books and issues really stood on their own. And there was that larger arc and narrative that all came together at the end. Yeah, there were like little things like, you know, the Justice League in the background to keep you interested in stuff. Yeah. 
but I think you do a really good job of of keeping the the reader engaged and playing. Okay, like this issue is particular about this theme. I think it works really well collected, which it is now. And then also in those, you know, if you're collecting it monthly, it was it was a great read. Thank you very much. And it helped that those were 80 pages long. So oh, yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> they were like little like mini books. Um and also, you know, it, it my, my my writing philosophy, I think, is that like whatever happens on, you know, page 27 is as important as what happens on page one or happens on page 80. You know, and so if you write with that philosophy that I am saying, I am telling the reader the most important thing I have to say to them at that moment, and that's true of where, wherever you are in the story, it'll be good regardless of whether, I mean, they will come back for the second volume, whether or not you uh, you end on some cliffhanger or something. Again, you've had like a really, you know, successful career. And, and now that you're in this place where you have this really good relationship with AWA, and sort of done some some bigger books like uh, Superman Space Age. Do you find yourself in a space where you could kind of be more selective in terms of like what you know what's offered to you or what you pitch on? Yeah, I find that it's allowed me to like pull a lot of the ideas I had out of the drawer for creator-owned titles or ideas that you know I don't know who's going to buy this comic, but uh, somebody will take a chance on printing it, which is nice because. Um, I feel like the stories I want to tell a lot of times aren't necessarily the most obviously commercial ones, but then those tend to be the ones that, that pan out. Not all robots was a pitch that nobody seemed to want. It got rejected everywhere, but you know, it's like one of my most successful titles. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, you have to, it's hard for somebody listening to a pitch to think about a story and how good it's going to be or not good. It's going to be, based upon anything other than the, the elevator pitch. So you really have to, they really have to be sort of convinced not by the, the, the tagline of the story or your hook. They have to be convinced more by their own faith in your ability to pull it off. And I think that's the thing that having, you know, multiple good titles to your name gives you, gives you that credibility where they, this story might not make a lot of sense or they might not have a lot of faith that anybody's going to buy this book based upon your description of it. But they they do have faith in you as a writer to to somehow make it worthwhile. You know, in terms of like your your work with you know the big two, you had you know Space Age, you had a Blade one shot. Is there anything coming up that like you're really excited about? That is something in those lines, or maybe something a little bit different. I have one big two project going on right now, which I can't really talk about because it hasn't been announced. But I'm super excited for it, and I, I can't wait to to talk about it. Oh, that's for me. That's awesome. <laughs> like I said, uh, Superman Space Age was one of my favorites. Um, and then we got to talk about Blade last time. And, and I'm really excited for for Serial and, and Rumpus Room. But again, like what what's it like? You know, it seems like you're able to juggle all these like really weighty titles as well, like uh, which I, well, I'm sure is is difficult. But like I said, as a reader, it feels like you're having a lot of fun engaging in these conversations, you know, about bigger themes and bigger issues. So what's that like sort of having multiple things at the same time? I'm sure uh, for me, like I could I almost have like a one track mind. I have to work on like one thing at a time. But as a writer, like what's it like to sort of juggle all these really big things and and make sure that they they're different enough? You know what I mean? You don't want someone to kind of like read like, oh, like they're going to get the same exact thing they got in no, not all robots in Rumpus Room and stuff. So like, how do you sort of 
make sure that you're keeping those things a little bit separate? Well, for me, it it really helps if I'm working on several things at once. And it also really helps if they're very different, like different um, genres or different tonalities, uh, because my brain will relax. If I'm writing like a superhero story and I get like just sort of in a corner or I, I, I feel tired, sick of it, if I'm then working on like a story about a silent film star or something set in history, the superhero part of my brain can relax for a while, can I'm not all of the, you know, the, the corners I've painted myself do on the superhero story while I'm working on that other thing. And then when I get sick of that, I can go back to the superhero story and it, you know, it's, it's like rotating your crops. That's great. You know, and again, like doing the, the podcast, it's been interesting to see what, you know, people's creative process are, because I'm always fascinated, especially in comics, because you juggle so many different things, you know, a movie and TV, you may work on one thing for two years, but if you're, you know, a working comic writer or artist, you have these very different things at different publishers and you're constantly pitching things and always kind of going for the next thing. And some of these ideas are really big. So it's always interesting to see how creators tackle that issue. Yeah, I, I, I find that it's a lot easier for me to write four completely different titles at once than it would be to say, like, write four Justice League titles at the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure. And especially, you know, these days. But again, you know, I think you've been able to find sort of to make those things interesting, you know, in a world where, you know, there's a bunch of Superman books, you're, you're able to kind of make something like Space Age that's very different. And I think years to come, people will go back to it and, and see it in a really good light, along with some really great stories. And again, it, it, that's why it's so great to talk to you, because when I read those things, I'm like, oh, my God, like, what was he thinking when he was writing this? But, you know, in, in terms of like, you know, before we, we got on, you were talking about sort of being excited about the con circuit. What's it been like sort of, you know, we had a couple of years where we weren't able to interact in person, but what's it been like to, after all the success of, you know, Not All Robots and, and some of your other books, what's it been like sort of interacting with fans? It's been great. Um, you know, I have to say I was getting a little burned out on the con circuit before covid 19. And then when that hit, I didn't have the cons for a couple of years. I, I realized that I kind of missed it. And I missed it precisely for that reason, being able to interact with fans or talk to somebody really, you know, your work meant something to them is, is something you don't, you know, it's, it's like you don't get a lot as a writer. And so when you do get it, you really have to sort of treasure it. Um, you know, it's not like being a singer or an actor where you get immediate response from your performance on stage. Being a writer, you you know you put some you, you send out a story and you know, God knows if anyone's even reading it. Like you're a prisoner or you're on a, a desert island, sending throwing bottles with notes in the end of the water, and you never hear back from anyone. So the cons are sort of my chance to actually hear back from people, and it's I always find it really gratifying. I get sick of like the, a lot of the um, I get sick of the travel sometimes. I get sick of the you know I can only eat so many turkey wraps, but. <laughs> But other than that, I really enjoy going to conventions and, and talking to people. Plus, you know, I'm, I'm, I've become friends with a lot of other comic creators. And for a lot of them, you know, these are the only time I see those people. Yeah, you know, I, I think, uh, especially these days, there's so many creators that are, you know, on other sides of, of the world. Um, you know, you were talking about going to Brazil and Mike Diodato's from Brazil. So I'm sure, you know, that's, that's no, interesting. We're playing. I've never met him person oh, yeah. to person. So this will be like a great... I, I think I, I'm really looking forward to meeting Mike for the first time. 
that's awesome. You know, uh, again, especially being that you created something that has had such an impact together to kind of be able to finally meet, you know, it's always like a beautiful thing, like, especially, um, you know, being in New York, I'm really lucky New York Comic Con, there's a lot of people that are from across the world that are able to come in that one space. So it's always good to see, you know, uh, again, all those creators in one place, because it, it is such a unique thing. And it's easy to kind of take it for granted. But then, you know, even me as an attendee, I was like, I don't know if I really want to do these anymore and stuff. And then they were gone. And I was like, you know, there's a little hole <laughs> that I don't quite know what's missing. And then going back was was such a good fun a couple of years ago. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, when I came back, I I, I uh, remembered all the, the it was like going going to my first convention again. It's like, oh, like you forget how much fun you can have just sort of talking to people and looking at what people are creating and stuff. I needed that that reminder. Yeah. And, and for me, it was great. It was the first time I could walk around New York Comic Con for a while. I was like, oh, like the first year they came back, I was like, I could do a cartwheel in this hall right now. This is awesome. This reminds me of my first con. But yeah, it's uh, it's great to kind of be in a space. And, you know, as sometimes you could get tired of things, it is great to kind of be reminded of like what that enthusiasm's like in person and what it's like to have so many people that that have a passion about something in one place. Absolutely. Thank you, Mark. It's been awesome. I'm really excited to, to read both Rumpus Room and Serial. Is there anything else you want to let the, the people know you're working on that, that's possibly announced that you'd like to share? Yeah, um, we're finishing up the third series on uh, Second Coming, which I consider to be sort of my flagship title. As much work into that as anything I do. And so the look for the uh, the trade paperback should be coming out soon. And then, yeah, uh, Serial comes out uh, October 10th. And then you be at New York Comic Con and a couple cons this year as well, right? I'll be at New York Comic Con in October. Hopefully I'll have my copies of Serial then. I can give them out to people. Awesome, awesome. I'll definitely be there. But thank you. And with that, bada boom. Bada boom. Thank you for listening to the Bob Boom Podcast. Keep the conversation going with Chris and I on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. You can find us on all these places at at Bada Boom Podcast. Get into the comments on our YouTube channel. Let us know what you like about the show or what you'd like to hear from us in the future. Until next time, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Thanks for listening.